The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Quarterbacks, free agency, and other Bears offseason rumors. They're all we've got to talk about, so that's exactly what we'll discuss on this episode of Bear With Me. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, right here on the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network. And I gotta tell you, there is not a ton to talk about on this week, the week of Sunday, February 23rd, because the scouting combine is just starting today. We haven't had a ton of movement on any rumors since the hiring of Bill Lazor and the promotion of... Dave Rangone and the hiring of John Filippo, and the team is just sort of in stasis. I guess the biggest news we have is that Prince Amukamura and Taylor Gabriel were cut the other day, but let's be honest, we all kind of saw that coming, and it's very likely that Adam Shaheen and even Ben Broniker are likely going to join them out the door. This frees up the cap space that tons of Bears fans just like me have been assuming that we would be working with and does mean that the Bears, while they're not going to be active active they're probably not going to be signing top tier free agents they are going to be using every dollar they can to shore up the issues around the team and the primary issues at least based on what i have seen seem to be tight end and right guard that shouldn't come as a surprise to you if you've listened to any of my podcasts or watched any of my videos before but it is what i think the bears need to improve on and will make the biggest impact but you know it's funny i say that because as that comes out of my mouth I actually think I'm wrong I think the biggest impact the Bears could make and this probably isn't going to surprise you again would be to add some competition at quarterback I know I know Mitchell Trubisky entering his fourth year has quote-unquote not had enough time in the eyes of plenty fans but here entering his fourth season with his second coach Matt Nagy third season with Nagy specifically I think it's fair to say that Trubisky is well behind the development curve that almost anyone would have set for him three years ago. Yes, we knew he was crazy raw. In fact, when he had his 2018 season with Matt Nagy, I came out and said multiple times that I thought Mitchell Trubisky was so inexperienced, it was fair to throw out the John Fox year not as throw it out, never touch it again, we can't take anything from it, but to treat it as a rare year zero of NFL quarterbacking. Normally when somebody like Carson Wentz or Deshaun Watson plays in their rookie year, that is quote-unquote year one. With Trubisky's inexperience, I felt it fair to grant him an unusual exception of a year zero to say, 
okay, here you were in a bunch of unusual situations. A great example is even going all the way back to his first game against Minnesota when, if you remember correctly, there at the end of the game, he had a chance to lead the Bears down for the go-ahead score and a big, big win, and instead he threw an interception to Harrison Smith that ended up basically icing the game. Now, to anybody that watched that, yes, it looked like a nasty interception. Almost any interception is. But more importantly, it looked like a ball that would have worked in college, that a safety just never would have been athletic enough to make a play on then, and a great welcome to the NFL moment. These kinds of moments happened all throughout 2017, which is why I think it was fair to give Trubisky sort of a year zero. But then, now, going into what would be year three, if that was the case, you would expect better better out of his sophomore season after such a good quote-unquote rookie year. And I know this may be a bit confusing to listen to given that he's obviously going to be in his fourth year of NFL play here, but the point of saying this is to illustrate a fairly simple concept. If 2018 was Trubisky's rookie year, then his sophomore season was really, really rough. If it was his third year in the NFL, which it was, and we were grading him on any other quarterback's development curve, we would say it's a really nasty year. There's no real good way to look at this team and Trubisky's play and say that 2019 was in any capacity good enough and that we quote-unquote need to stick with Trubisky and Trubisky alone. If you've ever wondered why I'm such a big proponent of competition and a move at the quarterback spot, that's effectively why. I'm well aware, and I've said it on plenty of podcasts, including the Staley's, that I think the biggest move that we could make is at right guard. It's a simple position to fill and should be one we should be able to fulfill well. I know I've got my eyes on Graham Glasgow out of Detroit as a good, not great signing that we should be able to bring in that would immediately shore up that spot much more than Kyle Long and Rashad Coward did combined, who both played pretty poorly, to be honest. I mean, there's a reason that Kyle Long said that he couldn't recognize himself on film. And, of course, I think we should add a tight end, though, based on everything that I've heard and seen of rookie tight ends and how much time it takes them to really blossom into the player that we know them to be now. I mean, for instance, just take a look at George Kittle, who in his rookie year was at or around about 500 yards, in fact, 515 yards based on pro football reference before blossoming into the thousand yard tight end that we know him to be. Because we know that a rookie isn't going to come in and immediately hit the ground running, I think that means that as far as the tight end goes, we're probably going to be signing a Tyler Eifert, somebody with injury history, or an Eric Ebron who is, let's be honest, fairly unspectacular, to come in and shore up Trey Burton who, when he's healthy, when he was in 2018, he was a pretty good player. I'm not saying he was incredible. Maybe he's a top tight end, top 10 tight end, that is, based on the sheer fact that tight ends aren't that spectacular across the NFL, usually end up with about eight good ones. I'm talking roughly in terms of receiving ability. So the Bears should be looking to just get their tight ends back to average, maybe that top 10-ish region, again, just by nature of the fact that not every NFL offense uses a receiving tight end. If the Bears were to make an aggressive move for O.J. Howard, I'll be honest, I'd be here for it. But I don't know enough about Howard to speak on him in great detail. You'd have to ask somebody like E.J. Snyder, who I know is all about the guy. 
But yeah, the point is, is that while I would love for the Bears to try to create a top five tight end room or to try to find their George Kittle or Zach Ertz or Travis Kelsey in the draft, I actually think as I've thought and thought and thought more on it, that this is more than likely going to become a draft where we look to take an edge player to eventually replace Leonard Floyd or an offensive tackle in the second round or trade one of our second round picks away for a guy like Derek Carr. We'll get there later, though if you've watched my YouTube video recently in that brand new studio, took a lot of effort, glad I put it together, on the quarterback situation, you know he's my first choice. Again, we'll get to it later. The point is, the Bears' tight ends are probably going to look to make the position functional instead of an all-star level. They'll look to prioritize consistency and availability over trying to take a big risk and potentially ending up with a situation like they had in 2019, where even though Matt Nagy has come out and said how important that U tight end position is in his offense, the Bears basically didn't have anybody to run it. Yes, Jesper Horstead tried, but I don't get the impression that he was able to do what the Bears needed him to do from that U tight end spot, not to mention it was his first year in the offense, and if you don't know it already, apparently NFL tight end takes years to learn. And to go along with this thesis that the Bears are looking for consistency and availability, they've actually already made a move at that spot, signing former Chief and former Browns tight end Demetrius Harris to come in and stabilize the position. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that I know almost nothing personally about Demetrius Harris in that I haven't watched him play, but from everything I understand, he's a solid special teams tight end. I think he's being brought in on a one-year deal, though I haven't seen anything about the money that it took to bring him in and from everything i've heard he's a solid if unspectacular receiving option that's more utilized as a blocker and based on what i saw out of the bears tight ends run blocking that is well received i like jp holtz and especially as a fullback i think he did a good job filling in for well the lack of a fullback and opened up a lot of holes but often on his one-on-one -on -one assignments he wasn't the tight end that i was hoping he would be i'll be the first to tell you i'm no expert on how well tight ends should block i just know that guys like george kittle and i know that i'm talking about basically a superstar but people like him block as if they're almost a lineman and jp holtz certainly struggled with things like that losing quite a fair amount of his assignments i think he's a good person to keep around we're talking about a udfa here so it's not as if he's exactly expensive and will cost the bears much of anything and he should be able to contribute as a depth tight end but as a starting y tight end the block tight end I don't mind having another body that seems like it's exactly what Demetrius Harris was brought in to do and I'm about it but here's the overarching point on why I've spent so much time now talking about quarterback right guard and tight end the truth of the matter is that the Bears offense could upgrade at right guard and upgrade at tight end and we should see our running game surge from about 29th into somewhere around 16th maybe 12th Based on the players the Bears have on their offensive line, like Charles Leno and James Daniels, just to name the main ones that I'm going to be talking about here, the Bears have prioritized guys that can pass block at the expense of their run blocking. And I know I just recently did a video talking about how Charles Leno isn't all that bad of a run blocker at all, and he's not. But James Daniels, uh, he leaves a lot to be desired in that specific part of his game. And even an upgrade at right guard might not be enough to overcome the fact that Bobby Massey, when he was actually healthy, wasn't very good. 
And when he wasn't healthy, obviously, Cornelius Lucas didn't exactly perform all that well either. I know a lot have said, Lucas came in and you didn't see a drop-off, and I don't think that's a compliment to Bobby Massey, because I didn't think Lucas played all that well either. It just showed that the Bears had pretty replaceable play on that right side of the offensive line, and we would hope for a bounce back. But again, the point is, is that we're not talking about San Francisco or Tennessee's offensive line that's actually built first and foremost to run the ball. We're talking about an offensive line that wants to throw it. And frankly, it was what they did best easily in 2019. From everything that I have seen, from statistics that actually say the Bears' pass block win rate was at about 13th overall, to time to throw rankings that put them around 20th, and other football outsiders, for instance, as a DVOA of their run blocking was 29th, fair, their scheme and their performance was just nasty, but their pass blocking rank was 20th in DVOA, and from what I've seen personally, which was that their pass blocking was uh, fine. Sometimes it was average. Sometimes they even had a couple games where it was above average, but often it was below average. I think below average-ish mediocre is a good word for it, and in the run game, they were abysmal. My point, again, and I'll say this over and over, is that this Bears offensive line is built to throw. This team is built to throw. We've got money in guys like Allen Robinson, draft picks invested in guys like Anthony Miller, and other defensive players on the other side of the ball. When it comes to this offensive line, they are built to throw. Matt Nagy was brought in to throw and use a West Coast-style offense, very similar in ideals to what we see out of Andy Reid and Kansas City, and that's what the Bears want to do. With that in mind, the quarterback play is obviously going to come under a lot of scrutiny because it's really important. I'm not trying to say that the Bears need a Patrick Mahomes either. I'm trying to say that they need an Alex Smith because after a couple of years of solid play at the position, the Chiefs made the playoffs four out of five years, built a winning culture that as soon as they inserted Patrick Mahomes, look at that, in his third year, he's gone and won a Super Bowl. Again, I don't think the Bears need a Patrick Mahomes immediately, but I do think they need to do whatever they can to ensure that they've got a stable floor for quarterback play. Because from everything that I can see, from, again, the eye test that tells me that Trubisky was not reading the field very well, to statistics like yards per attempt or adjusted net yards per attempt, I can see that Trubisky just wasn't efficient and bringing in competition to push him at the minimum and maybe replace him in case of of emergency would be a savvy move. Yes, the Bears need to shore up positions like inside linebacker and cornerback too, maybe even strong safety. But if they make sure that they sign guys like Graham Glasgow and cheaper people like Tyler Eifert or Eric Ebron, they should have just enough money to keep one of their inside linebackers, whether Kevin Pierre-Lewis, Nick Kwiatkowski, or Danny Trevathan, probably, frankly, the cheaper of the cheaper two of those three. And then, and <clears throat> this is my hot sports opinion, I actually think the Bears may stay cheap at their second quarterback and strong safety spot. And whether you want to call it safety two or strong safety is up for debate, but you know what I'm talking about. We're talking about the guy that plays next to Eddie Jackson. Here's my theory, right? The Bears just got done paying about $9 million for Prince of Mukamura and $2 million for HaHa ha Clinton Dix. That's a steal for a player of Dix's caliber, even though there's a lot of speculation as to whether he forced Eddie Jackson out of position. I honest to goodness can't tell because Jackson and Amos actually split free safety duties last year, so 
Eddie playing deep about half the time feels about right. He was roaming a lot, and frankly, teams just didn't throw at him. But I digress. The point is, we underpaid Haha Clinton Dix compared to what he's likely going to get this offseason. That leaves us short a safety. And we paid probably a little too much for what Prince Mukamura was giving us by the end of the season. And as I've said before, he's not a zone cornerback, and Chuck Pagano really liked dropping Kyle Fuller and Prince of Mukamura into a deep cover three zone at random points to cover the different blitzes that he would throw at quarterbacks. With that in mind, and the recent signing of that guy from the CFL and Buster Screen on the team, Duke Shelley having been drafted, Kevin Tolliver's what third year with the Bears, I actually think the Bears may just about be ready to bite the bullet, try to play a younger guy, and spend all the money that they can on offense to shore up that side of the ball. I know, I know. This is what the Bears have been trying to do for years, right? Finally shore up the offense. But the trouble is that based on what we've seen from Seattle's Legion of Boom and Denver's Super Bowl winning defense, as well as even the 06 defense from the Bears back in the day and tons of other defenses around the NFL, Jaguars come to mind. I could keep going, guys. We keep seeing that defenses with the same basic personnel don't last at that incredible top five Super Bowl winning level over near the amount of time that offenses with guys like Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown, Aaron Rodgers and whoever else he wants on the team. In this case, it was Jordy Nelson. Tom Brady and Julian Edelman and Wes Welker, the point is, is that when you have your quarterback in place and your offense is rolling, offenses have proved to be more stable over time. And yes, I know I just listed off a bunch of truly elite quarterbacks over the years, but I mean, even guys like Alex Smith in Kansas City were able to consistently replicate their season over season results. We've seen that offense in the current edition of the NFL is much more stable than defenses. And at some point, I think that the Bears need to really commit to the bit of making sure that they try to get their offense into a position where it's leading the team. I said this last year, if the offense could step up, we would have a great 2019. They stepped way down, and we had a terrible 2019. And I don't think that's some kind of crazy coincidence. Again, I know it's hard to hear, and it's frankly even hard to say, but the Bears may need to accept that their defense is going to take a bit of a step back, and it's going to expose some weaknesses, like a second safety that's being covered by Eddie Jackson, and a second corner that I guess he would also be covered by Eddie Jackson, though he'd also hopefully be covered by a great pass rush that includes Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks, even Leonard Floyd and whoever else we've got on the line, and inside linebackers like Roquan with a whole lot of speed that the defense would have these exposed holes but still contain huge and key playmakers like the aforementioned Smith, Mack, Hicks, Floyd, Trevathan, whoever else we have on this team, Fuller and Jackson obviously, would be able to still keep a great defense together. Maybe it would just step back into very good, and if we could complement it with a good to very good offense, this is a much better team than we had last year with a pretty abysmal running offense, a bad passing offense, and a very good defense on the other side of the ball. We saw this in 2018, but if an offense can give their defense a lead, the entire flow of the defensive game plan changes. Now you can attack. Now you can assault. Now you can go after your guy. And if they don't have that lead, they can't do that. You end up with a much more passive defense, very similar to what we saw Chuck Pagano shift to over the season. And they ended up allowing very few points, but that only got us to 8-8. Eight and eight. 
I want better. I'm sure you want better too. So I think the Bears need to put their money into the offense. Try to stabilize this thing. Get your tight ends back to average. Make your right guard go from one of the worst in the league. And that's, again, a combined value between the Kyle Long that was about to retire and just couldn't do it anymore. Rashad Coward, who, let's be real, I don't know if he's got a career at offensive line. He was a defensive lineman only a couple years ago. Let's take him from where they were at to an above-average right guard. Let's get our tight ends back to average because, again, an above-average right guard, maybe even just average, is a little easier to find than a really good tight end. Hopefully, Trey Burton can end up getting healthy, and let's even bring in another quarterback to shore up that position, try to set a floor, make sure that if Mitchell Trubisky doesn't elevate his game, he doesn't get better than the average 16th overall ANYA that he had in 2018, that the Bears are ready with somebody like Andy Dalton, Marcus Mariota, Derek Carr, Case Keenum, it doesn't make a difference to me. The point isn't that I have stars in my eyes for almost any of these people, though I do think Derek Carr is an actual above-average quarterback that doesn't come around often in a very similar setting to the one Alex Smith was in when he was in San Francisco. Effectively, I think trading for Carr would be very similar to when Kansas City acquired Smith, and as we saw, that set them in motion towards a very, very, very good bunch of years of football i'd love to see that in chicago the point is is that i want to see the bears do whatever they can to try to set up success for 2020 and i think that that doesn't mean sticking with mitchell trubisky blindly I'll say it again one more time. I don't think Mitchell Trubisky has done enough in any of his three years in the NFL to warrant any some kind of loyalty, especially if the Bears are already starting to waffle on whether or not they're going to even pick up his fifth year option. I just want to see that the Bears are doing everything that they can to give Matt Nagy and his staff a competitive team that they think they can win with in 2020. I don't think there's any way we're bringing back Vic Fangio, guys. He's staying in Denver. I'm not even saying that that's something anybody is suggesting. I'm more saying that we aren't going to get the defense-led team that we had. So I think we need to commit to whatever Matt Nagy wants because, like it or not, he's the head of the offense and he's going to make his vision happen. I also thought personally that, and I'll show you more in later and more detailed breakdowny stuff throughout this offseason, that I thought this passing game last year was still fairly well coordinated. You saw open guys all over the place, people like Anthony Miller running pretty free a whole lot of the time, and again... Mitchell Trubisky struggled with reads. It didn't take a crazy football acumen to see that. And I would love to see the Bears bring in somebody that they think can set that floor for a naggy quarterback. I'm not even 100% certain what Matt Nagy's offense is, based on what I've seen when guys like Chase Daniel or other people that are quote-unquote knowledgeable about the offense come into the game, and in that case, I guess I'm talking about Mitchell Trubisky when we play defenses that go with things like man looks and other stuff that doesn't confuse him near as much. Matt Nagy's offense looks very, very similar to what Reed tries to do in Kansas City. It's West Coast-based. It's get the ball out short. Let your playmakers make plays in space. You get the idea. Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't seen my YouTube video on Matt Nagy. Players in space is his whole goal with almost everything he does. And that, I think, is what he wants his offense to be. But I don't know if he's the right guy to do it yet. I've got no idea. 
because he's had Mitchell Trubisky as his quarterback. And as I start to speculate on whether or not Trubisky can read defenses very well, that means that I don't know whether Matt Nagy has even been running his ideal version of the offense at any point in his Bears tenure yet. I know that may sound a little ridiculous, but at least here's where I'm at so far. Based on what we have from early interviews with Matt Nagy since he was hired, he talked about how he brought in offensive coordinating staff that was good at what he wasn't very good at. He tried to acknowledge that his weaknesses were in the running game. So we saw guys like Mark Helfrich and Harry Heastan brought in to coordinate the running game. I think we can all agree, and we've all talked about it at some point throughout this 2019 season, the run scheme this last year was nasty. That was not very good. I don't necessarily think that the players played all that well either, but I don't think the scheme did them any favors. Either way, the Bears struggled to run the ball all season long. But the passing game, that has been Matt Nagy's baby, and besides some gimmicky trick plays like the various stuff that we ran against the Tampa Bay defense that basically didn't try in 2018, obviously they did. I'm just being tongue-in-cheek about how open everybody was. That was like batting practice as far as quarterbacking goes. And other trick plays like the various things we ran on the goal line in Tampa Bay. We ran cool stuff on the goal line against Detroit, cool stuff on the goal line against Los Angeles, the Rams. I, we all remember Willy Wonka, Santa Slay, things like that. We really didn't get a good impression of what Matt Nagy's offense is besides the obvious screen plays because, I mean, almost any quarterback can run those, right? You're just optioning it out to a player. What I'm really curious to see, and if we brought in a Derek Carr, an Andy Dalton, I mean even a Marcus Mariota or a Case Keenum, I would get the impression that we would at least be able to see what this Matt Nagy offense thing looks like from a passing perspective, because you're bringing in a baseline quarterback, you know what they usually do outside of this Matt Nagy system, do they do better or do they do worse inside of it? I'm dying to know. Because if this system works, then the Bears have their coach of the future. And if it doesn't work, then we are riding a bad bet. And I know there are tons of Bears fans that will hear that and say, we are riding a bad bet. I know we are. The play calling is terrible, but I'm just not so sure. I mean, again, I've seen tons and tons and tons of plays that either should have worked and were blown up by a bad read, should have been checked away from at the line of scrimmage. A good example, I can't even remember what quarter it's in, but in the Kansas City game, there's a right side rollout. So that's Trubisky takes the snap. He fakes a handoff to his left and then he rolls out to his right hand side that, oh my goodness, I still have no idea why Trubisky didn't check away from it because there was a safety blitz coming in on that right hand side is actually a cornerback blitz and he was already sitting on the line and he was going to come rush unblocked because there's nobody there to block him when your entire line fades to that left-hand side and of course the play went absolutely nowhere. I don't know why Trubisky didn't check away from stuff like that but that was week 16. I've also got a whole lot of questions and again I'll dive into this kind of thing later in the offseason about how Mitch's post-snap thinking abilities come into play. I can't tell you how many times, especially if you want examples, you can see one really big one with Javon Wims and a couple, like probably three or four in the Los Angeles Rams game this year, where Mitchell Trubisky displays a 
poor understanding, let's say, for how receiver leverage works. I'll talk about this more later. I know I keep saying that, but I mean it. But there are tons of examples throughout the season where a receiver seems to either have his man beat deep and the ball comes in back shoulder, or he's got his man set up for a back shoulder throw and the throw comes in deep. These look like total miscommunications. A lot of times you'll see the ball just float over. Again, another good one was in the Los Angeles game with Taylor Gabriel, where you kind of look at these throws, you say, where was that going, Mitch? And I mean, I don't know if he really knows because I don't know how well he's reading this. Again, you can go back. I believe it is in the early second half of the Kansas City game, third quarter. But you're going. there's a play where Mitch takes the snap. He sees pressure from his right-hand side. And I'm not about to make excuses for that because Ted Larson and David Montgomery didn't exactly stop that pressure. But he rolls to his right. He ends up with about a second and a half to make a throw. And he's got Javon Wims streaking across to his right with tons and tons of open grass. Javon Wims has a step on his guy, so you would think that he would throw it such that Javon's going to run at about a 45-degree angle forward and towards the sidelines, loft that ball on the sidelines, let the guy go get it, pick up about 25 yards, move on to the next down. Instead, Mitch basically throws it over his head, like way, way, way over his head, and the ball lands about 20 yards too deep and behind where Javon was running to. I have no idea where, why Mitch threw it there, but these kinds of plays all start to make me question whether Mitch is reading the field well. And I will talk about this in a more easy to comprehend state, but all these sorts of plays really make me question how Mitch's brain is working post-snap and make me wonder whether Matt Nagy is calling plays that he's able to execute. And you may call that bad play calling, but I keep thinking that a lot of these NFL plays are the sorts of things that you need to be able to run at the NFL level. You can't just run one option plays forever. That's exactly how a playbook gets sniffed out. And I want to see what a benchmark would look like in a Matt Nagy offense. And look, it could be terrible. That could go horribly. We could end up seeing that Matt Nagy is totally in over his head and has no idea how to do anything other than generally coordinate a passing offense. We could see that he's not a great play caller at all and that the flow that he has exemplified in some of his game-winning drives like this week two drive against Seattle in 2018 are just as much flash in the pan as some of the throws that Mitchell Trubisky makes. But until we can really prove that, I don't know why, but based on what I've seen, I actually think I'm siding with Nagy and would love to see a second quarterback in the room that we could trust more than, say, Chase Daniel with the starting role. Because let's be honest, in a competition between Trubisky and Chase Daniel, there just was never enough reason to really believe that you were going to roll with Daniel, and that meant that there was no ability for the Bears to make a change. But the bottom line is, whether you give Mitch a year zero or not, at the moment, he definitely looks like he's better in a play-action style offense, but even in John Fox's play-action style offense, because he did play in that, he still struggled. We thought a West Coast offense would be way, way better for Trubisky, but in year two, where almost every single quarterback statistically gets a lot better, we actually saw him take a major step back. Alex Smith got better. Donovan McNabb got better. 
tons of other examples of West Coast offenses that Lester Wiltfunk tracked only an offseason ago. They get better in their second season. Mitch took a big step back, going from, I believe it was 16th overall in 2018 ANYA, down to 30th and 32nd in yards per attempt. It wasn't a good year for Trubisky. And yeah, Probably a lot of that falls on Nagy. It's not all his fault. The offensive line did not have a good year, and we've talked about that. The running game could have done a ton more to help. That was a disaster, and Coach Nagy owns that as much as anybody else, though he did fire the people that we believe are probably in charge for it. Because again, we know what he said in those interviews, and it seems as if the new hires like Juan Castillo and others are really setting up to go back to a more traditional Reed-style running game, or at least something like what we've seen the Bills do. With guys like Laser and Castillo, I've personally got a little bit of faith and at least am willing to give them a chance that this running game should hop back to average. But with that in mind, upgrades at right guard and tight end and maybe even receiver because this draft class is just absolutely loaded. And let's be honest, Bears fans, if we could take a receiver that would normally be around 16th or 20th picked in the draft at 43 or 50, that may be something that we need to think about. But with all these other upgrades, I think that there's no way for me to say that Mitch is going to get worse than, you know, 32nd in yards per attempt, but he may not get better than he was in 2018. And that's something that you would hope in the third year of his offense that he would do. And considering that this offense, led by an offensive head coach, needs to be the leading force on this Bears team long term, that's something that I don't know if I can accept and is exactly the reason that when it comes to whether or not the Bears should acquire a quarterback to compete with Trubisky, I think my answer is an unequivocal yes. Now, who is that quarterback? You know, I was actually planning on talking about it, but we've already hit the 32-minute mark, so we'll save that for next week. As you can see on my YouTube primer, I have a lot of thoughts on a lot of these guys, and next week I'll make sure that we actually talk about guys like Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota that I did leave off that list, primarily because I think there are outside concerns like Winston staying with Tampa Bay and Mariota's agent thing that are probably going to gate them from actually becoming options for Chicago, but either way, we're in the offseason. Season, so why not just talk about it for now I'll just go ahead and say that between the cuts that we saw with Gabriel and Amukamura saying goodbye to the team the acquisitions that we need to make no doubt at tight end and right guard at least throughout this offseason and potentially the changes that we will make at quarterback there is a lot that could look different on this 2020 Bears team but I am confident as ever that they could very easily easily be a playoff team next year with just a couple of tweaks and while they very well could become that playoff team with Trubisky at the helm as he enters his last year of his deal that makes this a precarious position for the young quarterback because the Bears would have to pay him whatever his market price is anyways next year and I think this opens the door for an acquisition at quarterback the Bears basically have to figure out with Trubisky on a quote-unquote one-year deal that's worth about nine-ish million dollars whether or not they want to keep him or go in any some kind of different direction and so I think that opens the door for any kind of answer whether it's in a trade whether it's in a free agency signing or whether it's in a draft pick the bears have an open door and an open ocean at quarterback and i can't wait to see which direction they go because what 
whatever might help Trubisky, be it a better running game, a better right guard, a better tight end, better wide receivers, or anything, including potential defensive changes, though again, I don't think we're going to be seeing those. They should also help any other quarterback brought in. And if all of this goes south, if everything goes belly up, whether or not we stick with Trubisky, bring in Keenum, trade for Josh Rosen, sign Cam Newton, sign Teddy Bridgewater, bring in Tom Brady, trade for Derek Carr, trade for Alex Smith, any other name that you can think of. If the Bears end up losing 10 or 11 games next year, Pretty much everybody's probably going to get fired, and we're going to have to reset this whole thing anyways. I don't know about you. I don't want that. Not necessarily because I'm even the biggest fan of Ryan Pace or Matt Nagy, but because replacing pretty much everybody in your front office almost always means that you're likely not going to be competing for a Super Bowl or even a couple of playoff wins anytime within the next two years, and I just don't want to wait that long. If trading for Andy Dalton or Derek Carr or anybody like that means that we may not win a Super Bowl, but we could win a couple of playoff games, I think I'll take being the Tennessee Titans as opposed to being 8-8 eight and eight and missing the playoffs. But anyways, that is a rant that honestly I didn't plan on going on, but I'm glad I did that should set up for exactly for what my feelings are on free agency and this Bears 2020 offseason. I cannot wait to see what direction they go. I have never seen an offseason where the needs are so clear with tight end, right guard, inside linebacker, a potential safety or strong safety, a quarterback second because we've already got Kyle Fuller and maybe even a quarterback, but that's about it because the rest of the team can play and the Bears have so many directions they could go with such an incredible class of wide receivers, a really shocking amount of available quarterbacks that very well could be moved or acquired in the offseason and tons of other things that should make this 2020 offseason a crazy one to follow. And depending on how different this Chicago Bears team does or doesn't look in 2020, their results could be anything from a 13 and 3 season all the way down to 5 and 11 and so i can't wait to see just how the dice falls That'll do it for the show. So if you like what I have to say, feel free to follow me on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz or find me on YouTube at Robert Schmitz. And do that quick because I actually am thinking about rebranding the channel's name here fairly soon. And until next time, Bears fans, bear down. And thanks so much for bearing with me.